After we finished taping this podcast, the White House confirmed that, out of an abundance of caution, the president was being taken to Walter Reed Medical Center for several days of tests. The White House doctor, Sean Connolly, also shared a memo saying the president was being given an experimental antibody cocktail developed by the biotech company Regeneron to help him fight the symptoms of the disease. That drug has not yet been approved for the general public. Your second question was, I couldn't hear you. The can, second, you can you take it off because I cannot hear I'll, you? I'll just speak louder, sir. Oh, this, okay, good. You want to be politically correct. Go ahead. No, sir, I just want to wear go the ahead, mask. Go ahead, go ahead. On Friday morning, Americans woke up to the news. President Trump and his wife Melania had tested positive for COVID-19. The same president who had at first played down the threat of the virus and then insisted the country was on the path to recovery is now forced to go into quarantine just one month before election day while his doctors monitor his health. It's a development that could have far-reaching implications for the presidential campaign, for the upcoming Supreme Court battle over Amy Coney Barrett, and most of all for the governing of the country. We'll talk to Yahoo News White House correspondent Hunter Walker and Yahoo News medical contributor Dr. Kavita Patel and try to figure out what we know and what we don't know on this episode of Skullduggery. Because people have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. I told the American people I did not trade arms for hostages. My heart and my best intentions still tell me that's true, but the facts and the evidence tell me it is not. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. There will be no lies. We will honor the American people with the truth and nothing else. I'm Michael Isikoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. And I'm Dan Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News. The head spins at all the many different scenarios uh, for how this can play out. Uh, we don't know if the president is going to get sick from COVID, if he's going to become incapacitated, or if he's going to skate through and mount a quick uh, recovery. Uh, supposedly, he's got you know, some minor symptoms right now, a, a cough, some fatigue. But man, you know, I, my thought is this is Shakespearean. The president who tried to dismiss the virus, who tried to say it was no big deal, who told people, mocked people they didn't have to wear masks, becomes its latest victim. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's the problem with being skeptical of science. At the end of the day, you know, science is trumping Trump. You know, there are so many different scenarios here, and there's a lot that we still don't know. But I think already what we do know is that the president is not incapacitated for the next 10 days, but he is not going to be out there on the campaign trail, which is going to have an impact. We also know that already at least a number of other people who have been in proximity with the president have contracted the virus, and we don't know how many others. And that is the thing about this disease. Right. It is highly contagious. So this could spin out in so many different ways, and it could have so much impact. We're just going to have to wait and see what happens. Uh, one of the things that I'm looking 
to see is how much information, real information, is going to come out from this White House about the president's condition. I think by now, you know, we should be hearing that the president's doctor is going to come forward and take questions from the press. And look, we've got two great guests who can help us walk through this and sort all these many factors out. So let's get right to it. We now have with us Hunter Walker, Yahoo News's White House correspondent, and Dr. Kavita Patel, our go-to expert on all things COVID. Hunter and Kavita, welcome back to Skullduggery. Hunter, let's start with you. What do we know about how the president of the United States, presumably the most protected man in the country, came to get COVID? Well, You know, it is hard. I I think Dr. Patel will probably back me up on this. It's hard to definitively say, you know, which moment led to a case of COVID. And specifically because when it comes to this virus, the president has not been the most protected man in the world. He has traveled all around the country to packed rallies on board his plane. He and his staff have actively declined wearing masks. He, in fact, often tells reporters uh, in the press corps to take off masks when they're around him. These events, uh, including the one I was at on the 22nd in Pennsylvania, are in some cases clearly in violation of local social distancing guidelines. Then last weekend, he had this packed event for Justice Amy Coney Barrett in the Rose Garden of the White House. He went to the debate. She's Judge Amy Coney Barrett. Right now, she's aspiring to be Justice Barrett. Yes, he, he had the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court Justice nominee reveal in the Rose Garden. Everyone was unmasked. They were hugging and high-fiving. You know, this is an outdoor event, but when you go in and out of the White House, there is sometimes sustained periods in, in pretty tight security areas that everybody has to go through. So, you know, for me, the takeaway is the president, you know, announced that he tested positive for COVID early Friday morning after sustained and myriad exposures for him and his team that have now led to um, Hope Hicks and one other White House staffer uh, testing positive. Let me bring uh, Dr. Patel into this because I think one of the things that we may know now is that President Trump likely didn't contract COVID-19 from Hope Hicks, his very close advisor. That was what people assumed. We learned through a a Bloomberg news report earlier in the day on Thursday that uh, she had tested positive for COVID-19. And then, of course, the president tweeted that he did it around one in the morning on Friday morning. But he started exhibiting symptoms on Thursday, as far as we understand, They traveled, Hope Hicks and President Trump traveled together on Tuesday and Wednesday. So what does that tell you? Yeah, so just as a reminder, when you get symptoms, you can actually have had this window of when you were exposed. Honestly, it can be as early as two weeks prior to those symptoms. So we're talking about a pretty dramatic window where the president could have been exposed. And If we were to kind of march backwards, that takes us well into the Supreme Court justice nomination, as well as a number of other events. But the fact that Hope Hicks tested positive, and at this point, you know, Trump testing positive, we've heard that he actually had that initial positive test Thursday morning. And as you mentioned, some symptoms Thursday afternoon, and now we know mild symptoms at some point on Thursday. It's incredibly 
unlikely, although nobody wants to say for sure, that he, people I think have assumed since Hope Hicks announced a, a test that was positive Wednesday night and then Trump testing positive later, that Hope Hicks gave him the virus. At this point, their symptoms were so close together that it's entirely possible that someone else was the source of this transmission or that the president himself could have been the source of transmission for Hope Hicks. And we shouldn't make a I'll call it a time-related temporal assumption. And then just to throw even more confusion on this, I think there's been a lot of issues with the testing strategy that the White House used, specifically the machine they used in DC, which has been renowned worldwide for issues with high false negatives. So you could imagine that as the president has been telling us that he's had, you know, he's frequently tested, he tests and he's negative. We don't know, I think, to the point, Dan and Mike, that we do not know kind of truly if that was a true, true negative. And I think the magic trillion dollar question here is, I think people are assuming that since they've tested negative, including the vice president, Joe Biden, that they're in the clear. That is all far from the truth because of what I just mentioned, this time period around which people have symptoms and can still test positive. I just want to have a very quick follow-up on this. It, it, first of all, is this the Abbott rapid test? It's, it's a rapid, let me, and, and again, I'm not going to bore people by being so detailed, but it's important. It is an Abbott rapid test. Abbott has several rapid tests. This is the Abbott ID now, and I, I don't personally have anything against Abbott. They're an incredibly reputable manufacturing company, but this is what's considered the rapid PCR test. PCR being what we consider a gold standard. It looks for the actual genetic material of the virus in your, from your nose or saliva. And so it's considered in all retro, you know, kind of circumstances, it's all, it's considered to be a very reputable type of test, but this lab, and by the way, there's dispute. The, Abbott has said they've improved the test, but this test, this specific machine has had from a New York University study published, has had as high as a one-third false negative rate. And there has been open criticism, very public, that this should not have been the machine they used. And when I've asked White House staff why they chose to go with this machine when there are other rapid genetic PCR tests available from other manufacturers, White House staff said that Abbott's machine is able to process more samples. And that is, in fact, true. The reason this is so important is that while on the one hand, we know how important testing is mm -hmm. uh, to deal with this contagion, and, and but, but on the other hand, it seems like if your tests have a high rate of false negatives, you're right. going to create a false sense of security. And how many times have we heard White House officials say, mm -hmm. well, we don't have to wear masks. We're tested. Uh, we get tested every day. That's right. And in fact, I want to point out that that happened today when White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, right. after the President of the United States tested positive for COVID-19, and, you know, this is a such a enormous story um, and, you know, so consequential. And he addressed reporters today from a lectern, was not wearing a mask, was asked about it. And what did he say? I've been tested. You know, right. so right. 
It's better for you to think about what President Trump has done is substituted testing for any prevention measures when, in fact, there's nothing that can substitute. Well, we know there's nothing that can substitute for those prevention measures. And all you have to do is look at me when I'm in the hospital or in clinic. I don't care how many times I get tested. I'm getting into like a bubble suit, basically, because that's the risk. And and that's that's what every step of the way the president has actually actively mocked that process. And let me just tell you guys a little bit about what it's been like at the White House over the past couple of months, because, um, you know, we, we did an article back in May saying, you know, at the White House, social distancing is optional because there really there really only was a fig leaf of care there. In the earlier days of the pandemic, they did sort of have a mask requirement in the West Wing. A lot of staff flouted that. Some visitors to, so all visitors to the West Wing earlier on in the pandemic, I think prior to June, were getting their temperatures taken. But of course, you know, a fever is not necessarily diagnostic for COVID. You can, you can have it without having a fever at all. So that's, that's just part of the picture. Only some of the reporters and visitors to the White House are tested. So even with, you know, these holes in what testing means, not everyone on the White House complex is being tested. In spite of this, the president continued to hold crowded events in the Oval Office. He was traveling around the country. He was going to these crowded rallies. And again, his staff often does not wear masks, even though it's technically required at the West Wing. On board Air Force One, Everyone is supposedly tested. However, you're tested early in the morning sometimes. They then release everybody for hours to go wherever. You get on the plane. The staff is not all wearing masks. And they also serve food. And people take off their masks and eat the food without masks indoors on the plane. One thing I found really interesting is, uh, according to Bloomberg, which sort of broke the news of what happened with Hicks, they say that she started exhibiting symptoms at this rally in Minnesota. They fly back to D.C. and, quote unquote, quarantine her on the plane. I'm really not sure how you do that in sort of a shared, confined airspace. I just want to pick up uh, on uh, Kavita made reference to the uh, trillion dollar question. It strikes me that there are multiple trillion dollar questions here, which we should get into. You know, one of them, which we've referred to, is the Supreme Court nomination. That event on Saturday, we now understand what five people who were there have tested positive. One of them, Senator Mike Lee of Utah, who was a member of the Senate Judiciary Committee, who was seen and captured on video, hugging various people who were there. Another, Father John Jenkins, the president of Notre Dame, who was there to support Amy Coney Barrett. I think this has got to raise a lot of questions about how often is Amy Coney Barrett being tested and at least the prospect that the uh, upcoming Senate Judiciary Committee hearings may have to be postponed. And if that's the case, there's a question of whether Mitch McConnell could do this before Election Day. And of course, if he has to, if he can't, you know, and the Democrats retake control of the Senate, it's going to be awfully tough to do it lame duck. But just, just but, to, Mike, before yeah. you just just to fill in a couple of the details here. Sure. One, we understand that Amy Coney Barrett has been tested on a daily basis. But the Washington Post also reported, based on three sources, the paper said, that a while back, not sure exactly when, she tested positive for COVID-19 and then recovered. So 
you know, there is the question whether she's got antibodies. It's still uncertainties about whether you have it once, you could get it again. So that's all a little bit fuzzy. Right. But I just want to point out that there was also, I think, as many as three other members of the Senate Judiciary Committee who were at the Rose Garden ceremony on Saturday. And the last time I checked, which was right before we started recording this podcast, none of them had come out to say whether they had been tested, whether they were negative or positive. That's Mike Crapo of Idaho, Ben Sass of Nebraska, and Tom Tillis of North Carolina. So, Kavita, very quickly, just on the testing of Amy Coney Barrett, as I understand it, you said it can take up to, what, 14 days from point of infection before you will show up with a positive test. So we don't know if she's in the clear yet. So, yeah. So on average, if you've been exposed, so it's kind of a, you know, nothing's zero to 100. So on average, within 48, so let's say two days to about five days, it's the highest likelihood time that if you're going to be positive, a test will flip to positive. However, there is documented literature that some people, and true story in the literature, that some people have tested positive 37 days after what they think was the exposure. I would not, that's certainly, we use kind of an average. And so that's why we tell people that if you've been exposed to someone who is known COVID positive and has symptoms or just known COVID positive by test, that you should quarantine, you should get tested within the appropriate time frame, and then you should quarantine yourself, stay at home essentially. So you have to wonder, even if Judge Amy Coney Barrett is being tested regularly, there is no reason to make an exception. And her, Mitch McConnell, frankly, the entire Senate, I mean, I do think it's an argument that I'm sure Democrats will make, but I would beg Republicans to understand that this is really about public health safety and not about delaying. I know that there's already been some chatter about, you know, when I worked in the Senate, I know there's been chatter about Republicans saying this is just a Democratic tactic to not go through with the hearings. No, we have the leader of you know our free nation who's got COVID and has symptoms and is in, he's 74. We know by his physical appearance and statistics that he's already overweight, which is at least one chronic condition. It's increasing his mortality risk, his case fatality is much higher, reaching approximately nine to 11%. In all likelihood, that means he's got an 80, you know, 1% chance of recovering from this, sorry, 91% chance of recovering from this. But, you know, I don't want to play with those odds. I wouldn't want those chances. So you have to take it seriously. And my God, we're talking about, you know, the infrastructure of our leadership in Congress, the Supreme Court. I mean, I, I, you have to imagine Judge Barrett met with, you know what, the whole thing going through my mind, Hunter, I don't know if you... I mean, she had to have met with other Supreme Court justices. You've got Stephen Breyer, who's 82. You've got, I mean. There were other justices, I believe, in attendance at the Rose Garden. Uh, I mean, I just. And and, and furthermore, she was meeting with McConnell, Grassley. Everybody. uh, Septuagenarian senators up there who were all at risk. But look, the other mega trillion dollar question, of course, is the impact on the presidential campaign. Now, at a minimum, Hunter. There was that town hall debate scheduled for October 15th. It's hard to imagine how that can come off at this point. And also, if the president, who's behind consistently in the polls, 18 to 10 points, can't be out there campaigning for the next week or two, which I presume is the case. I mean, this strikes me as 
at a minimum, a huge blow to the campaign. I mean, I'm kind of at a loss for words, right? Because, um, you know, yes, theoretically, uh, you know, he shouldn't be out there campaigning for a moment, but we are continually seeing, particularly Trump and the Republicans, kind of make up their own rules for this. And as Kafita was touching on, Biden is not necessarily 100% better. I mean, Mike Lee, who tested positive, issued a statement saying, you know, he's going to isolate for quote unquote 10 days before returning to trying to confirm Coney Barrett. Well, and because 10 the days ten, is, 10 days is exactly when, 10 days from now is exactly when the hearings begin. Right. But 10 right? days is not what any yeah. medical expert would yeah. say he needs to do to protect himself. Right. Right. So Trump theoretically would need to isolate as well. But I'm just pulling this up right now. The campaign actually issued a statement a couple hours ago, an hour or so ago, saying, you know, all previously announced campaign events involving the president are being in the process of moved to virtual events or temporarily postponed. They do have a robust sort of Zoom quarantine campaign operation. But they said that they are not canceling everything. All other campaign events will be considered on a case-by-case basis, and we will make any relevant announcements in the days ahead. Vice President Mike Pence, who has tested negative, plans on returning to his scheduled campaign events. That's from Bill Stepien, the Trump campaign manager. So they're trying to get back to it. And I've been just going through, and we're going to have a story on this shortly, some of the campaign events and other events that have gone on in the past week. And it's just an interconnected stew of people who were continually hanging out with you know, one person who has been exposed and then going to another event. I mean, the president's kids, uh, Don Jr. and Eric, flew with him to the debate with Hope Hicks. Earlier that day, they were hanging out at the Trump Hotel. Some of these people at the Trump Hotel events went to a house party where they were with Ted Cruz, who's on the Judiciary Committee, with Mike Lee. I mean, it mounts and mounts Whose house and mounts. party was it? Uh, Matt and Mercy Schlapp, the, the conservative hey. power couple. Yes. <laughs> right. Matt Schlapp, a two-time guest on Skullduggery. <laughs> so there's just all of this interconnected and continued exposure, all of this unwillingness to take real quarantine and preventative measures. So should the president get off the campaign trail and go virtual for a while? Yes. Will he do it? I don't know. It seems like the prudent thing to do <laughs> would be to say, okay, first thing we're going to do is the most robust contact tracing exactly. uh, that you know any organization has ever done. Because we don't know where this came from. We don't know where it's gone. Before you make decisions about continuing to be out there when you're potentially exposing, at some point it's exponential. I mean, if, if, if the White House has become a kind of a super spreader place, then, you know, you put lots of people at risk. So it strikes me that there's at least one <laughs> rosy scenario for the president in this. And that is if he recovers relatively quickly and the odds are he still will. I mean, uh, even by you know the numbers Kafita cited, he's got a 91% chance of coming through this okay. If in a couple of weeks he could get back on the campaign trail, hold his rallies, you know, show how he's recovered and he's a symbol for our country, which will recover, you know, maybe that could work out for him and help him a bit. I don't know. Of course, there are many other scenarios where things could go south. But Mike, uh, I agree with you. I, but yeah. I, I'm, I'm just going to say like this. I know people are all kind of saying like, oh, he's benched. He's this. 
I mean, I'll be honest, if I were, I'm, I'm a Democrat, if I were trying to be a Republican strategist, I would say, this was your October surprise that you didn't expect. You can show the country X, Y, and Z. Now, I understand there's no kind of talking to the president that way, but this actually could be the, the look, I woke up with all the texts and I'll be honest, I was stunned and I was scared because as an American, like this is just too much to process. He can actually make something out of this and benefit from this, not the illness, obviously, but just how he handles it. Well, but that's the, been, but that's yeah. the question, how he right. handles it. And there are three world leaders now yeah. who have contracted yeah. COVID-19. Boris Johnson mm -hmm. in Britain, Bolsonaro in Brazil, and now Trump. Boris Johnson and Bolsonaro responded to it on sort of opposite ends. So mm -hmm. Boris Johnson, who was, I wouldn't say dismissive before he got it, but he was downplaying the disease uh, to some extent. When he got it, he came out of it a changed person. He said, I had a 50, you know, it was 50-50 whether I was going to live or not. And he conveyed in very, very clear terms to the British people that they had to take this extremely seriously. Bolsonaro, on the other hand, came out of it like with all of his machismo and the strong man. And he said, hey, I survived this. It wasn't that bad. Maybe weak people out there can't, won't. And so the question is, and this isn't a rhetorical question, it's a, it's a sincere question, how would Donald Trump handle it? Because it, it could help him if he, if he responds properly, and it could also hurt him. I agree with what you're saying, Dan. And I think, you know, this could backfire and it could just remind people of how shambolic uh, and messed up the White House response to this has been. I mean, the president literally hasn't secured his own residence. And I think it's also important to note just how much trouble the president was in separate from this and prior to this on the campaign trail. In the past week or so, we've been seeing tightening polls in um, Ohio and Pennsylvania, two key states. This comes before- Well, tightening, I mean, not tightening. I mean, Biden was running away Biden's with ahead. Pennsylvania. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry, and, yeah. sorry, tightening polls yeah. for Trump in that yeah. Biden's lead is growing in those two states. Right. This came before the New York Times story, the blockbuster tax story, before a debate performance that was widely panned. And right ahead of the president announcing this, this coronavirus uh, diagnosis, his campaign was flailing so badly that they were on a call with the press touting his performance in the, quote, Kiss FM Phoenix online poll, because local radio websites <laughs> are with random clicks from users are the only numbers that looks good for him. So even if this does help him a bit, it's hard for me to imagine that it can do enough to turn the tide of a race that seems to be starting to get away from him. So we talked about the rosy scenario for Trump, that he could use this, but there's also some dire ones. First of all, Kavita, how long should the president stay in quarantine? Yeah, technically from the time of a positive test, 10 days. Because just so you know, like it's just as a <laughs> public service announcement, not worth the president getting tested more. I am sure he will because he's the president. But let's pretend he was like you or me and a regular person. There's no point once you're tested positive and you have symptoms, once you're tested positive, there is no value in doing like serial tests because you can have a positive test for weeks afterwards, but that doesn't mean you're 
likely to give someone the infection. So you, you usually wait 10 days after the onset of symptoms. And that's, we're making assumptions about what his symptoms are. We've heard they're like a mild cold. If he were to continue to have like active symptoms, of course, needed to get hospitalized, had fevers, then you would push out that time length. But because the Times and others have confirmed that he's been reported to have mild symptoms and he's just kind of isolating, you know, at the residence, you would wait 10 days. And that's, that's the boundary. And if he does get sick, when would we likely start to see that? Yeah, the typical, so coronavirus has kind of got this like double hump to it, meaning people have been presenting pretty sick kind of three to five days after they start to have symptoms. So for the president, you know, if he started to seem kind of symptomatic in New Jersey Thursday afternoon, we'd be looking kind of anywhere from, you know, late Saturday, Sunday, to as far out as Tuesday for that first bump where he could decline. And then you'd go, and then you see in patients with coronavirus, actually, let me, let me restate. Technically, he's got COVID-19 now. It's not even coronavirus. He's got symptoms, so he has the disease. So with patients that have COVID, three to five days, and then you do see some people looking great, and then they decline at day 10. So this is obviously, he does have the countries, the world argues, you know, I've seen what the White House medical unit has. They've got basically a makeshift hospital kind of right by the West Wing. Um, Hunter, others, you, you guys have probably all seen it. It's incredible. I'm sure they're monitoring him like crazy. But that's another reason that you want to be, you, you can't just kind of take his word that he's feeling great and take a tweet. You're going to be watching kind of on the edge of your seat for a yeah, while. And, well, and to that point, I want to ask Hunter, you know, we can't take the, uh, him or the White House at its, at its word. I mean, typically, you know, White Houses are not all that transparent about the health of the president and about medical crises involving the president, going back to Woodrow Wilson and, and who, by the way, contracted uh, the Spanish flu and no one knew about it until, you know, decades and decades later. But in this particular case, we know that the White House has not been terribly transparent. It took Bloomberg News to actually break the news that uh, Hope Hicks had contracted the virus. And it wasn't until that came out that then Donald Trump uh, tweeted that he had it. And so the White House has been saying that Trump has mild symptoms. But when asked what those symptoms are, are, they won't say. I'm not quite sure why. I mean, if right. he's got a temperature, why would they say he's got right. a mild fever? If he's got, you know, mild cold symptoms, why won't they say that? So, Hunter, how are we going to know if his condition really deteriorates? And how, how much trust do you put in what you're hearing from the White House about the president's condition and a, the condition of others? It's a great question, Dan. And the answer is we don't know at all. We're, we're totally flying blind here. I mean, we still don't know what happened with that mysterious visit the president made to Walter Reed, um, I believe <laughs> earlier this year. I mean, my sense of time is totally out the window. It might've been last year, but he's also got this ridiculous history with doctors making incredible preposterous statements on his behalf um, from, you know, Dr. Bornstein. Dr. Bor uh, Dr. Dr. Bornstein, Bornstein the, the long haired uh, <laughs> doctor of the Upper East Side who declared Trump basically the fittest man in the universe. They've made statements about his weight at 236 that just, 
I mean, are preposterous to anyone who's looked at the man and has any any sense of you know these actual numbers. But I also, if I may get personal here for a moment, you know, whatever they tell us, whatever he ends up saying, I want to take the timeline that Kavita just rolled out because I had the experience in March of getting diagnosed with COVID. Now, I subsequently, I couldn't get a test at the time. I, I have tested negative for antibodies. I don't know what I had. But I did get that experience of a doctor saying to me, I believe you've got it. And you know what you end up hearing is sort of a version of what she just ran through. You say, hey, how do I know if this is going to get serious? And they say, well, you don't for the first couple of days. And really, you don't for 10 days. And in my experience, that means you're sitting there and you literally don't know whether you might end up on a ventilator. It is a terrifying, terrifying experience that at least in my case, and I'd been very careful, prompted a lot of self-reflection. I mean, it's, it's A, just scary because you don't know if you're going to survive, and B, you're sitting there going over every moment where you could have been more careful and might have exposed yourself and regretting it. So whatever the president comes out and says when this experience is over, if he's lucky enough to come out and, and talk to us when it's all over, I have to think that this is a pretty sobering moment for him. And, and certainly if I was the president, I'd be sitting there thinking, man, maybe I shouldn't have, you know, mixed in a crowd of thousands at 10 rallies. I mean, he really put himself I, I, I at think, risk Hunter, he's facing that now. It's fair, to, it's fair to say that President Trump doesn't probably doesn't view the world in the same way that that you do for instance um i would not be looking for <laughs> introspection yeah, soul searching right. and uh conceding that he was wrong but i just anything. want to get to uh, just two other points quickly first of all i gave the rosy scenario before for the president he recovers and um is back on the campaign trail in another couple of weeks uh, you know there's the less rosy scenario which is that he does he does get very sick and then the Republican National Committee may have a really difficult choice to make, because if you have a president who is very sick from COVID in the closing weeks of the campaign, they have the power to replace him as the candidate of the party. The problem is that with the proliferation of mail-in voting, people have already started voting. And it's unclear whether in many states, people who have already sent in their ballots uh, for President Trump, whether those ballots can be counted for whoever the RNC chooses as his replacement. Presumably, it would be Mike Pence, but it's a scenario for more chaos, more litigation on top of everything else that uh, we were expecting. But Kavita, I just want to ask you, because I know you've been in touch with the Biden campaign, and we understand, that, you know, first, the vice president has tested negative, of course, but the campaign is saying he's going to be out there holding rallies in coming weeks. Is that a smart move for the former vice president to make? And how would you advise or how yeah, are I mean, you it's... advising the campaign. Sure. And, and and Biden and Harris. So, you know, I think you've now seen that Biden, the former, you know, second lady, Jill Biden, uh, the vice presidential candidate, Senator Kamala Harris and her husband. I, and this is all public, obviously. They've all been tested negative. I think that just just to be candid, I think that, you know, the campaign, 
the Vice President Biden himself has been getting tested regularly. I think there's always been, obviously, everybody's now seen him. In fact, President Trump made fun of him for wearing masks in public settings and even when there's social distancing. So you know that I, I feel very confident that the Vice President's kind of medical team is doing a lot. However, having said that, because he's tested negative, and they've also mentioned that they're taking kind of critical precautions and doing everything to make sure that the vice president is protected, I will be honest, I'm being critical because, candidly, I can't, you know, Vice President Biden is also in an age group where he is at a higher risk if he does get COVID, just like Donald Trump is, President Trump. I'm very concerned about that. And I said, Okay, so you know he's going to continue, and I believe he's holding an event in Michigan, and, and I'm incredibly concerned about that because I want him to be safe. They are going to take precautions, but I also think it's just a potentially, you know, it's something that you want to say to the country that he's doing exactly what kind of scientific experts are advising people to do, and again, that's quarantine because he's still in this kind of gray period. So. I would just say that out of the safety of the potential president, he could win and become the president of the United States, that this is just setting good behavior. And to me, it just speaks to the fact that I think our country is just getting tired of all these COVID protocol, coronavirus protocols. And it's what Hunter mentioned, like you're starting to kind of see people feeling like, oh, okay, we can relax a bit, or that if we test negative, we can relax. That's not the case. You've told this to the, the Biden campaign. Well, I've talked to, I've, I've interacted with people on his campaign. Yes. And, and, and what's said, the response? That, no, I think, I think they're, first of all, I think they're all trying to make sure that I think as, as news is evolving, he's negative. I think they're trying to be incredibly cautious about the vice president's health as they should be. And again, my point is you just don't know. He could test negative in that moment, but he could still be susceptible. He could still be in that time period where that test could become positive. And I don't know, I, we didn't get into what kind of machine they're using or what the false negativity rate is. He's got, you know, my goodness, he's got Ron Klain, Vivek Murthy. He's got incredibly bright people around him who are, in addition to his own doctors, of course, personal doctors. But I, I'm still concerned that he is in that time period, exposure on Tuesday. We know the president could have been positive without symptoms at that time during the debate. They were not six feet, to, they were not closer than six feet, but they were indoors, both without masks, both with raised voices, because they had to shout over each other. We saw that, and that just creates, and we know the virus is airborne. We know that creates a high risk. And so I'm not trying to you know, say that he's got COVID and he's hiding it, not, not at all. I'm just concerned. And I think that it's something that the campaign should think about. I've kind of, since we've been talking, I've heard that they're all trying to kind of figure out what the safest precautions are for the vice president, for vice president Biden are, by the way, I would put vice president Mike Pence in that same category. Hunter mentioned he's going to be resuming campaign activities. He had contact with the president. He was at the SCOTUS, the Supreme court event. I, I'm not sure why people feel like you know, they want to substitute one negative test or even, you know, several negative tests for the precautions they should be taking. And one, one thing to throw in there about uh, Vice President Biden's risk, you'll probably hear much made in the coming days of the fact that the debate was co-hosted by the Cleveland Clinic. I mean, a, a super prestigious medical institution. They did design a protocol that, that should have, you know, been pretty safe for this scenario. However, 
by all reports from the White House press corps, the Trump entourage refused to wear required masks, even when they were offered by Cleveland Clinic staff. So that breaks the protocol completely because there are questions, you know, a main question with infection is, are you indoors? How long are you indoors? How close are you with people, airflow? And whatever they had prepared for, they factored that in for a masked audience and a group of people, some of whom later tested positive, Hope Hicks, were there unmasked, who were right. not supposed to be. I just want to ask uh, one more question about that debate. And Hunter, I know you were watching closely and have been reporting on this, but there is this, you know, we, we remember seeing, you know, the First Lady, for example, entering with a mask on. I'm not sure she kept her mask on the entire time, but... The family, which were in the front of the audience, Don Jr., Eric Trump, there were other family members there as, as well, they took their masks off. And there is a scene that I that has been recounted where I think it was in the pool report, the White House pool report, where a physician from the Cleveland Clinic wearing a white lab coat approached them, had masks for them to wear, and they waved him off and refused to put on the masks, even though those were the, Cle the, the guidelines that the Cleveland Clinic set. I know this may sound like a dumb question, Hunter, but all I want to ask you is, why did they do that? I have no idea. I actually talked to Eric Trump this morning because, uh, and this will be going live on Yahoo News at some point, I found out that prior to going to the debate, Eric and Don Jr. were at this crowded fundraiser at the Trump Hotel, mingling with people and taking pictures. And Eric said to me something along the lines of, well, I was tested Tuesday morning, the morning of the debate, and I'm outside of the time frame for contact tracing. Or he, he dismissed the idea he's inside any time frame, which is just I mean, it's preposterous. This was a couple days ago. He was exposed to Trump. He was exposed to Hope Hicks. He was exposed to other people at the hotel. So, you know, to answer your question, they are just essentially, and it's it's similar to what the president has done. They're just doing whatever they want. But and is this a is this a political act of some sort? Is this saying we're not going to be politically correct? Is this saying we're tougher? than the liberals uh, were not snowflakes. I mean, what's going on? So when I talked to Trump supporters in the crowd um, on September 22nd, nine days ago in Pittsburgh, a lot of people were sort of dismissing the virus as a potential hoax. They were citing Facebook viral disinformation that says um, totally falsely that only 6% of actual COVID deaths are really from COVID. This one woman was theorizing that hospitals are collecting money by making auto accident victims and listing them as, as COVID patients. So there's definitely sort of this larger right wing politicized, you know, COVID denialism. But, you know, I also think, I mean, look, individually, and, and, and Dr. Patel was alluding to this before, this is wearing on all of us. And everyone kind of wants to, to an extent, pretend this doesn't exist. And, and I think they're human beings like the rest of us, but on the political front, selling that message, you know, having these large, large rallies, having Pence continue to campaign as the president is now sick, pretending this isn't serious and pretending it, isn't, it doesn't exist is kind of a hell of a drug politically because it is what people want to hear. So again, you know, setting up the landscape that Biden really was ahead right now, I do think COVID denialism, if he can pull it off while being sick himself, is potentially a bit of a weapon for the president as he 
you know, tries to overcome what is now a mounting deficit. I think also just to add on top of that, don't forget, it was Vice President Mike Pence at the behest of Mark Short on his staff who did not wear a mask at the Mayo Clinic. Uh, what month was that? April, you know, kind of at the, you know, one of the heights of, and you have pictures of, you know, everybody in the Mayo Clinic, including a patient wearing a mask with Pence not wearing a mask that created such a backlash. But I think this is, honestly, I, I really do think it's exceptionalism and not to want, they do not want to appear weak. And they really, on some level, do not believe that it's as bad as it is. They really do believe some of what they're saying that, you know, it affects poor old people and it does, you know, it's the China virus and, and they do everything. Well, I guess, I guess another trillion dollar question, Kavita, is whether the president contracting uh, COVID-19 and going through this is going to change their perceptions about the virus at all. And it sounds like it sounds like Hunter, you may be skeptical. We'll we'll just have to see what happens. I I think I think all Americans, regardless, again, I am standing here, I woke up like many Americans, (laughs) I think pretty stunned. And I think emotionally, I think it is making everybody kind of stop and go, wow, okay. And I hope some proportion of that about 51% of our country wears masks. If we can even bump that up to 60%, 65%, that translates to thousands of lives saved. It, it is an interesting thing. This is the last thing that I'll say, which is that um, I woke up the same way. There was a th- certain, it reminded me a little bit of about early in this uh, crisis when I woke up and saw on my Twitter feed that Tom Hanks and his wife had contracted the virus. And that was very early on. And somehow, it made it real for me. And then in a, in a similar way, when the president gets sick, he represents all of us in a certain way as the head of state, and it makes it real as well. So kind of bookends there. Well, we're, we're all trying to process all this. Um, Hunter and Kavita, thanks again for your insights. What an amazing, incredible series of events here and um you know you two are are the best we can go to for uh, trying to process it so um thanks again and for joining obviously us. a continuing story so we will be coming back to both of you great thank you thanks